My name is Chidi Asaluka, and this is the Asaluka Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm I'm well. I last week I had a back challenge um, where I could not walk, and um, <laughs> I was teaching the the casualty of of remote learning. I was hunched over um, teaching, <laughs> and then I like tried to sit up and. Um, Bad things happened. So, but today, today I feel good. Today I feel good. Good. I think that's, I think just sitting for long periods of time. Yes. It's just not good. Everybody's feeling that lately working from home. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. let's, let's begin, like I begin all our podcasts with who you are and um, your story. Okay. Um, so I teach English. Um and I am in my seventh year. Um, I've always loved reading and writing and teaching English um, was just a way for me to channel these things that I love. And then I also um, have the opportunity of working with amazing kids. And so it was, it was the one thing that I felt allowed me to do all of those at once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the last few years, um, And I want to say that particularly in grad school, I started to, you know, delve into and research this idea or this concept of multicultural literature. Mm -hmm. And so I started to want to bring in multicultural education into the classroom. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And I wanted to, well, um, unfortunately, I designed, like I had to kind of design my ideas around that. I'm assuming that I don't have any resources mm-hmm. from my district. And so um, I just started to collect data from my students. I would um, give them surveys and ask them things on have they ever seen themselves presented in literature in schools. And most students, and I had, and I gave the surveys to seniors, and most students had never in their K through 12 education felt like they've been represented in schools. Wow. Yeah, it was very powerful. And it was things that I that I thought I knew, but then to see to actually see it as different, you know? Mm-hmm. And um and I took the and I took the data and I looked at the survey results and I started to design lessons that incorporated my students' backgrounds. So like one thing that I do is I'll pass around the clipboard and I'll ask students like what's something they really identify with. And we talk about how we all have many identities, but like, what's the one thing you really identify with? And kids will say something like they identify most as being a refugee or being undocumented or being a woman or LGBTQ or, you know. And so what I'll do is I'll try to get excerpts from books that reflect the things they identify with. And so that first year that I experimented with this a few years ago, I also gave them surveys after we did these lessons and I saw like the interest and the engagement level in reading went up by at least 90%. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I felt like all the studies that I had read had been confirmed 
and that student engagement is much higher when students feel like they're being reflected and represented in the learning Absolutely. process. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, have you received pushback uh, for the work that you're doing? So I haven't received pushback only because, um, like as far as doing the lessons in my classroom, mm-hmm. only because I'm also keeping up with the pacing and doing what the school requires me to do. Mm-hmm. But I have asked for help in turning this into something beyond just me pulling excerpts and getting books and resources. And um, that didn't really go very well. Really? What do you mean? That didn't go so well as far as, um, you know, I was told that it was a good idea, but that we, it was a budgeting issue. I didn't really feel very supported. Um, and I think that a mistake that I made is that I went to administrators with this idea and with my data, but I went by myself. Mm. So I think had I had a team of teachers who were also aligned with, with, you know, what I knew my, our kids need, mm-hmm. then I wonder if perhaps if I presented this as a group, if there had been more of a shift in, um, in the way that it was received. Mm-hmm. But, but I, you know, I did present it on my own and I felt like I was basically told that it was a cute idea, mm. but we can't really do anything with it right now. Um, and that, and that was it. What's the as reason? Like, what's the, what's the reasoning why they could, I'm just curious what, what they say. Yeah. I mean, it was a couple of things. One was a budget issue mm-hmm. as far as they, they would have to order books. Mm-hmm. And then another one was, um, then they would have to change the curriculum because now they would have to write outline like new curricula for these new books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that these are both things that don't necessarily have to be challenges mm-hmm. because schools should be shifting with the times. Correct. Absolutely. You know, and um, in the district where I work, 99% of the students are of color and about 80% of the books are written by white authors. And so there's just a huge discrepancy in representation. It just seems like a common sense issue, um, right? To, to yeah, I, I think it does. Yeah, I think it's common sense. And this is not, you know, something that's an issue where I work. It's also something that's an issue across the state and across the country when I look at curriculum for English classes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talked about, I'm just thinking, because, you know, at my school, uh, I, so I teach at a private school. Thorea teaches at a, a, a public school. And one of the, the freedoms of, of private or independent school, I should say that, independent schools is that we could teach whatever we want. We're not, we're not beholden to state exams. We could have, you know, diverse curriculum. Um, but I imagine the thought of independent schools is you're like, no, to. You're like, you would never. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That I would never work at one? Mm-hmm. You're probably right. I probably would never. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't. Tell me, um, tell me why. Why not? <clears throat> um, I like to work in the public school system where we serve underprivileged kids. And I feel like that 
just I would just have different students than I have now if I worked in a private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that um, public school teachers are a part of a union. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something very important also. Mm-hmm. What what do you think public schools should do more of? Where do you think that um, they need to be challenged? Where do you think innovation needs to happen? I think that there needs to be like, um, like professional development and training for everyone that works in the public school system, teachers and administrators alike. And I think that they need to be um, accepting of shifting with the times and I think that they should incorporate our students' backgrounds in their learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that students should, should know that their people have made contributions as well and that not every contribution that's positive came from a white person. I think that if they really bought into this idea and believed in it, then um, there we would see like even maybe like a decrease in discrimination and stereotypes mm-hmm. and racism because you know, just understanding other people builds a bridge. And even if I was teaching a class where all my students were white, this would still be important because when they go off to college and to the workplace, they would have this understanding um, that what they may have thought before was wrong. And so I think the only way to deconstruct in schools is going to be through the books that we teach. Right. Right. That's that is true. Let's, I want to go back and, and I want to know more about you as a person. Um, mm-hmm. Like what's, what, what got you to be so motivated to, to be in this space? I'm just curious, what was the spark? Um, what was the thing that said, yes, this is the moment in which this is the way I want to live my life. This is the way I want to make my mark in the world. Do you, can you pinpoint a moment in your life where you said, I am going to be this kind of educator? I don't know if it's a moment. I think it was many moments. Um, but I think just not having, um, well, I think that going to public schools my entire life and not ever being represented or reflected in a positive way as either a person who is Arab or a Muslim definitely is something that impacts me. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I ever saw in my learning process. Mm-hmm. And it's not until after my undergraduate years that I start to read authors that have similar backgrounds to mine. Right. And so I, I, I think once I came to this realization in my adult years, I didn't want to be a teacher who was like the teachers that I had in a sense that they were not conscious or if they were conscious and aware that they were leaving out their students and their learning, um, then I certainly didn't want to be that kind of educator. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my experience, um, my personal experience, you know, um, influences that in, in a way. Um, I also think that knowing that my students have not been reflected growing up in their learning process is something that affects me. Mm-hmm. I think that it affects students' security and self-esteem and self-image. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really unfortunate because that does not have to be the case. Um, I also think that consciousness and awareness as um, an educator is something really important. I actually think it's everything. 
For instance, when I went, when I worked in my district, I didn't know about certain holidays like Three Kings Day or Diwali or other holidays that my students celebrated. But I took it upon myself to know when these things were happening and to acknowledge them Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge my students, you know, life experiences Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, going back to my experience in schools and I went to school in Clifton. So it's not like I went to school in like some deserted place in New Jersey. I don't know what example I'd give. (laughs) Um, but like anything that I celebrated or any traditions that I have were never brought up Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, just the care and the awareness and the consciousness that I have is something that I don't want to say it makes me a different kind of teacher. I don't mm-hmm. think that's, I don't know if that's the word, mm-hmm. but maybe just someone who, um, I don't even know what's the word. <laughs> it's not, I don't it's not that I'm, I don't think it's that I'm distinct. I think that I just, I really just don't want to accept. I'm not okay with accepting things. Like once I realize there's an issue with something, I can't really move past it anymore. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that, you know, I, I consider myself, I think we are cut from the same cloth. Um, I consider education, you know, we talked about this earlier, um, definitely a civil rights um, fight, right? Um, mm-hmm. And some people have access to um, quality education and some people don't. But to, I'm curious as you have been crafting your curriculum and um, being definitely meaningful and mindful in your classes, where do you think that you need to push yourself? Like, where do you think is the area in which you would like more professional development around? Like, where do you think you, where you can sharpen your blade? Um, I think an area where I'd like to push myself is taking like this, um, presentation that I shared with you and taking these lesson plans and like maybe turning it into a, an actual class mm-hmm, or a course mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that students can engage in this learning for the entire school year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd like more professional development on, on how to include students on other ways to include students in the learning process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think usually like professional development is, you know, this is what, this is how we think students, this is what we think students will benefit from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily always the case. Right. Do you get, um, let me speak in the eye. <laughs> um, when I, everything you're saying, I'm like, oh yes, that's me, you know? And when I was working at um, one of my, my former place of employment, um, I was the, seemingly the only one I was the only black man there for seven years right um so it's not seemingly I was the only black man in the upper uh Mm -hmm. division and I was okay with that I was okay with the the expectation that I was going to be this um I don't want to say um I was going to be this voice, this important voice talking about multiculturalism, talking about social justice, 
talking about the things that matter in this world, being a change agent, I, I took that on and was very much proud to do that work. And then there was a moment where I was like, I don't want to be the sole person. And I felt that I needed more of a community that could um, have that burden as well. Do you, do you, and I, I had to end up, I had to leave and I'm curious about burnout. I'm curious about in what ways are you being fed at, at your place of work? Do you, do you feel like this champion of multicultural education, but are you, are you being supported? Are you being supported by your colleagues? Are you being supported or I'm just curious, how are you feeding yourself? How is the community feeding you? You know, early on, um, you mentioned something about being the only black man in your place, mm-hmm. of em- a previous place of employment. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of when um, I started working where I am now years ago. And there was a person who's no longer there, but who um, encouraged you know, one of my former bosses to not hire me and her concern was, had nothing to do with like my education or my experience. Um, but her, that person's concern was that I would close the door and influence the students to convert to Islam. And so now I was going to make the kids Muslim and we were going to have like a crisis in our hands. And, um, Another concern that at the time came up was that I was going to have to leave the students alone in the classroom so that I can leave, pray, and then after abandoning them when I was done, then I would return. And so I was actually asked once that concern came up if that was something that I was, that I would do. (laughs) And it's so ridiculous. Like, I don't even know how these things are real. What did you say? And so I said, absolutely not. Like I'm not like any responsibilities or jobs that I have. I'm not going to like just leave that. Right. Like we have breaks for a reason. And um, I also thought it was like very offensive that um, that my former boss was told by this person that used to be there not to hire me because of the concern about converting students. So there was definitely like, um, so I definitely knew early on that they had not or at least I don't think they could have dealt with people who were visibly Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. because I think that if it was normal in their workplace, then maybe like they would not have been freaked out right. by me working there also. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's so important that, um, and not just, um, you know, and not just so that a place looks quote unquote diverse, right. but it's so important that, places of employment include all different kinds of people. Right. Um, and so you sharing that you were the only black man at your, mm-hmm. where you worked reminded me of that. Um, and then as far as support, I really don't think I have much support on the multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a void there for sure. And it's something that I would like more support on. Um, I don't feel like it should be something that I have to do as additional work so that my students are included the way that I do it now, where I'm doing, where I'm covering everything I'm supposed to cover. And then in between, 
because I'm aware how my, that my students are being affected by not being reflected, right. trying to like sneak in different material. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. burnout is definitely a thing. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, yeah, I, I, I worry about, I worry about the people who are doing this work, um, because it's so important and so necessary, but a lot of people aren't comfortable, um, or knowledgeable to do the work that you're doing. And which ultimately the concern is that you get burned out and you leave. And then all of that knowledge that you've created Mm-hmm. leaves with you right. so i'm 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 curious um on that end wh- what are you what are you working towards i mean you talked about creating a, a, a class um but is there something is some, there's there's something about your spirit that seems big and um i wonder what what it what 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 burns you up? Like what are you what are you building towards? Are you building towards something? I don't want to be just a regular teacher, you know? Mm. Like I don't want to go to work, teach my classes and leave. Mm. I wanna do um things that I love that are also um beneficial to my students. Um I actually um received a call last week to have an opportunity to create a workshop on how teachers can teach Middle Eastern students. Mm-hmm. There have been places in New Jersey where there's been like an influx of Middle Eastern students. Mm-hmm. And I was told that teachers um, didn't know how to interact with them or how to teach them because they had not had students with those backgrounds before. Okay. And you know, when you go through like a teacher education program as an undergrad or even in grad school, that's not a class that we take in college where like, how do we deal with these different kinds of students? Um, it's like something that's not even addressed. Like we might talk about low income students or you take a one credit class on like ESL students, mm-hmm. but teachers are not trained in that area. No. And so, um, you know, I think that teachers go along with whatever that, that experience is and then naturally some of their biases. And then there's that challenge in teaching students. And then how could you really even teach someone if you don't feel like they're on the same level as you? Like, how does that even ever happen successfully? Mm -hmm. If you feel like the kids in front of you are not even, you know, um, on the same level as, as people. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that, um, I want to do is to continue to like create different workshops. I don't only want to be limited to the multicultural work, even though that's something I do want to expand on. And, to be able to teach other educators these um, strategies that I come up with that I think will be helpful for students. Mm, mm. What What's one of those strategies? Um, if I could teach people how to become more aware, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I think even just ideas on lessons on how to like include students in the teaching process, um, just, uh, you know, like, even offering things like books and authors that are marginalized, even talking about what it means to be a marginalized person. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you have a family, correct? I do. I have two boys. Oh boy. What's the ages? 
10 and this little one turned five today. Oh, oh yeah. happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. That's and wild. so I try to even, thank you. So I try to like, even the books that I get them and they're unaware, but they'll thank me when they're older. Yeah. You know, I get like all marginalized writers. Like that's who I want them to read mm-hmm. in their additional reading, because I know that the school is not feeding them that yeah. unfortunately. You took the mm-hmm. question right out of my mouth. That's exactly where I was going with that question. I was so <laughs> curious how you're teaching your boys, especially boys, right? <laughs> like, yeah. um, and how that, and how, how do they, how are they receiving? I, I mean, I guess it's just like normal to them. Yeah, I think they think it's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the older one has a couple of times in school. I don't want to say he's gotten in trouble, but he's gotten like sometimes everyone is not thrilled with all the information because mm-hmm. it's different. Mm-hmm. Like he recent, like um, during the school year, they were being taught about, you know, the older president. And then when Abraham Lincoln came up, you know, he said, well, Abraham Lincoln is not a hero. And he only, you know, freed the slaves for economic purposes. He's actually not a good man. And I guess like that's not information that people want fifth graders to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So You're... things like that. But it's things that I'm okay with, you know. I'm okay with them getting in trouble for mm-hmm. for things of that nature, so it's fine. That's amazing. That's truly, truly amazing. Um I think we're at the section of the new of the new com uh, the section of the podcast where is the segment of deep dives. Okay, you know about this section. Se- this I se- don't. This you don't know about this segment. Oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this segment of uh, of the podcast is in which uh, uh, is inspired by the course I I created called the New Community Project, which is the fundamental, I guess, the foundational. Um, uh, uh, truth of that class is that we are all texts, right? It's not only Shakespeare and Toni Morrison's are great novels, mm-hmm. and but we are also texts. And the idea there is that if we could study each other like we studied, you know, Shakespeare, we can have a deeper understanding of who we are and how we move in the world. And perhaps when we are building um, service projects, we're doing it from a place of a human connection and not just mm-hmm. a, from a place of pity, which pities all pity says that I feel sorry for you. I'm so bad. I'm so, I'm so um, lucky that I'm not where you are. Do you want to coat? <laughs> you know? And so mm-hmm. what Newcom tries to do is um, show that we are all human and we all have a, an architecture of, of, of humanity and we can then pull it apart and look at it and explore it. And so in this segment, I try to get my guests to consider themselves like text. Um, so I ask you these questions and um, that are crazy. And then I give you an opportunity to ask me anything you want to because these are tough questions. All right. Question number one. Um, we've mm-hmm. kind of been talking about it um, like it's a sh- has shown up. Faith. Uh, it has come up and it's in here and it, that story with the with your former school, which is crazy. Cra- I can't believe. What year was that? That was my first year. Oh, what year? Yeah, what year is that? It was 2013. 2013. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, which is, anyway. Um, I'm curious, you know, I always tell my students that, and you, you, you probably teaching your students this too, is that, we, especially in the world that you are in, 
um, we are seeing the world through the lens of like for me, um, black man grew up in Newark. And so the way I see certain things are coming through this particular and Nigerian. So, you know, I have my parents that are Nigerian immigrants. And so the way I see the world is through that lens. And so sometimes I will pull apart things that other per, other people wouldn't pull apart because I'm just seeing mm-hmm. it in a, in a particular way. Um, and so I'm curious um, how faith has Islam, how, how that, how this, this particular lens allows you to do this work. Does it, does it provide a, a particular lens that makes you an effective teacher? I think that um, if I had to choose a couple of things that come from faith that influence my work, one, um, they would be patience and kindness. Those for sure. And I think that it's because those are things that I saw growing up from my parents. And um, those are also things that I think, um, those are also traits that I wanted people who interacted with me to have. Mm -hmm. And they are things that I want to have when I interact with other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're things that I use, that I hope I use Mm -hmm. when I interact with both students Mm -hmm. and other adults. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's interesting that you say we look at things from our lens because there, I have certain lens that I can't separate Mm -hmm. from myself to try to see something, you know, in a different kind of perception. And I think one of those things would be being Palestinian. Um, And just being an occupied people, I think it makes me kind of have an understanding with other countries where they're also either occupied or where they are at war with their government or where, um, you know, it's people versus everyone else. And so I think it kind of lends me that understanding um, and just that sympathy with other people who have also um, experienced the same. So like a lot of my students are Mexican and I'm not Mexican, but they, um, a lot of like their experiences, their refugee experience, whether it's from Mexico or El Salvador or where they're coming from, I feel like I can relate to the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had conversations with people in the past where they asked me to remove my Palestinian identity Mm. and to only look at a topic as though I was just American. And I can't only look at something like I'm just American and remove the Palestinian-ness because that's part of my lens. And I think that shapes the way that I look at things because when the Palestinian-Israeli conflict does come up, and, and and it does quite often, in different conversations and settings, I kind of, you know, listening to a person's view on that, I can judge whether they are a person that is for or against um, injustice mm-hmm. on that and on everything, such as police brutality in the United States. And so I think that there are certain topics where you can kind of get someone's opinion and then you can almost, and, and I don't know if this is something that's fair or not fair, but it's the thing that I do, I can almost say, you know what, like now I I don't even need to ask this person what their views are and all these other people because this one thing tells me where they stand on justice. Mm. 
<laughs> wow. Um, what are you what are you scared of, and how do you keep that fear in check? Like this is like talking about fear is not an easy thing to talk about. No wonder this is what segment is this? The deep, deep dive. <laughs> um, I think that something that I was scared of was change, and maybe it's something that I'm a, I'm still a little scared of now. But I think that over the years, the more that I accept myself. It's something that I become less scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a few years ago when I got divorced, that was something that was, it was a huge change. And culturally and religiously, it's not something that's very common unless there's something going on that's, you know, like intolerable, like physical abuse would be considered intolerable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people, I had people saying, well, you know, if you're with someone who is like contributing towards the mortgage and is not physically abusing you, then you should just like be quiet and just keep it going because you don't like, this is just like not a necessary thing. Like it's just was not something that was considered even, um, you know, important or, it, you know, it could be considered an exaggeration on my end as a woman. And I think that that's something that happens in a lot of cultures, right? Of people of color, I think. I don't know. Like some of my friends Absolutely. of color who are not Arab, I feel like they, like their culture is like, unless it's something that's seen by the people as mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like intolerable, the women should stick through mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that, some, that was something for me a few years ago where I, I started to become okay with change. And then something that I was even more afraid of was um, like just the perception of other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that once I let that go, I was just able to, um, number one, breathe. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. number two, um, just live in a way without thinking about how people were going to see like what their opinion was going to be on the thing that I was doing. I think like a current fear would be maybe still change, but like change moving forward, Mm -hmm. just like um, as far as trying to do things that I want to do in my career. And I also like don't want to be penalized or face consequences for having an opinion. in the workplace and out of the workplace or like, I think maybe being seen as um, different or too out of the box um, for what like society says, maybe a Muslim woman should be or what a mother should be or how a teacher should be and et cetera. Um, Because I think that like when I think about my identity, I just think about myself as being, just myself, I don't first label myself as a mom or as a teacher. And I think that that could be like problematic for some people, especially like for mothers. Like if you're a mom, that should be like your number one identity. And I just want to be myself first and then give myself like the other titles. And now like when this conversation ends, I'm going to keep thinking about things I'm afraid of. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's funny because my major takeaway is that you have cultivated a system of attacking that fear. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny. That's the part that you isolated, like all the things you're scared of. But what I took away from it is like, wow, like you have created this like constellation of like attack systems against those things which is mm -hmm. a, a lot of people are still trying to figure out um so i'm sorry to bring up bring up fear but i'm also just like wowed that you were able to identify those things bring language to them but also um strategize how to like dull the effects of them which is incredible my last question yeah i think Go like what what's the other option you know yeah Mm -hmm. um, the last question is more hopeful. Um, how do you cultivate joy in your life? I think that um, reading and writing still, and I know we talked about it early on, but that's something that, like my joy is in reading and writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be like writing in a journal or writing poetry or just writing little notes of ideas. I started this week to write a little bit about, you know, can love exist under the patriarchy? Can romantic love actually exist? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. And so I was trying to see like what other people have said on this. I didn't find much, but I'm going to write on it myself and try to see what other people are saying also. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, um, because the patriarchy is everywhere. I was just wondering if it could actually be an authentic and genuine thing for romantic love to exist without that. I haven't mm. figured it out yet, mm. but really, mm. I kind of want to say maybe it can't, mm. but I'm not going to say that yet. Mm. You've opened the door to some interesting, okay, I want to think about this. Can I think about this? This is live. Yeah. Um, wow. Hmm. I have to really, uh, I don't want to, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to think on. Um, the, the question, the question then is how are we, how are we defining love? Right. And that's another thing. Yeah. That's like a whole other topic too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that, conversions. Mm -hmm. have you read all about love by bell hooks? I have, and I reread it from time to time. I pull it up just to kind of like look at it. Um, and I feel like it's one of those books that I'll always go back to and look at throughout my life. Yeah. Powerful. I, I teach yeah, that, absolutely. teach that book to my seniors and it's just every year it's um, a gift uh, because it always sparks really intense conversations uh, <laughs> about their families because he challenges yeah. uh, how we define familial love. And they, mm -hmm. for some reason, that they take to that and so it's interesting to me wow I yeah it must be a great book to teach i would love to teach that you should mm -hmm. you should you should yeah that. i'll like sneak i'll sneak parts of it in sneak it in <laughs> sneak it in they don't know they wouldn't know um now is your turn to ask me a deep dive question and i'll try my best to answer it 
So I'm going to go back to the fear topic. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm ready. That was the hardest thing you asked me. So um, <laughs> what's something that you were afraid of and what's something you're afraid of now? Were and I believe they are the same thing. Uh, what I was scared of. Here's my, I've said this on one of the podcasts. Um, I believe that fear is part of being a human. So when people say I want to eradicate fear, I am always hesitant to jump on board with that. I think it's just part of who we are. The challenge is bravery says I see fear, I feel fear, but I'm going to persevere anyway, right? Um, the idea of doing these podcasts every week terrified me, but I log on and I do them. Um, and that to me is bravery. So let me just say that as like the intro to answer your question. I think, and this is interesting, I don't know if too many people know this, but I think my exterior self belies what's actually happening underneath. I think I was my in my spirit is someone who does not want to be seen. I want to do my work and then hide. That's I, I am not in, inside. I'm just someone who is an introvert. I don't want too much eyes on me. I just want to go and do what I got to do and leave. And before I just thought, oh, you're that's who you are. But now I'm starting to notice that I think I'm afraid of stepping into what I'm supposed to be doing. I think I've known for a very long time that there is a, as I, as I feel in you, a fire to do the big, bold thing. And I think that at times that scares me because it's like, I can't do that. That is too big. And and too many eyes are on me, and I'm not skilled enough. I don't have enough money for that. I don't. I can't get to that level, and so I shrink because I don't want it. And and it was worse as a kid. I think now I'm learning. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna persevere through that anyway. It terrifies me, but I'm gonna keep going. And so. I'm really, really, I am. I, I, I have moments in which I shrink because I'm like, I can't do that. You know, when I became a dean of my school, a class dean of my school, it terrified me because it me meant that I had to say things in meetings and I had to uh, 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 have good ideas and stuff like that. And I knew it was in me. It's in me. I feel it. It's in me. But to lean into that and be incredibly visible and have people who like me, don't like me, and just being out there where people can judge me, oh, it terrifies me. It really, really, really does. And um, to this day, but I think what I'm learning is I can put it in a box now. I can say, oh, look at Chitty. He's, he's scared of that thing. <laughs> like and now I'm like, but I got to keep going. Also, when I feel it, that means that I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If I don't feel a little bit like nervous about it, 
then I think uh, anyone can do that. But the bigger the heights are, the bigger the heights are, it's going to be intense. And so actually what it does is uh, it fortifies me. It says, man, you are, like you said, which is probably going to be the title of this podcast, I want to be a different kind of teacher. I like that. Um, I want to be a different kind of teacher. I want to, I, I, I want, I want, I want to make impact beyond my classroom. I, I just want it. And so I'm learning that that is scary, but I am going to do it anyway. And so, but it's not easy. There are days that I'm just like, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do that. It's too much. I, let me just yeah. go back to what I was doing. Let me go, let me just teach my books and then <laughs> grade the essays and go to sleep. Like mm -hmm. that's all I want to do. It terrifies me that, because I think to, I'm rambling, but I mean, it's like therapy, you know, you know, I feel like the more that you lean into your gifts and talents, the more people can judge it and be like, why are you doing that? Like, or like, uh, uh, you really, I don't, that's not going to work. Or, or even on Instagram, people can scroll through like, oh, what's Chitty doing? Like that, that thought that I'm so much on, I'm so visible that someone can judge me. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. But I'm now, as an older person, I can both hate it and do it anyway. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's really brave, but I think what's happening is that you're aligning your inside self mm -hmm. with your outside self. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think that, yes. <laughs> I think everyone has two parts of them, mm -hmm. the inner and the outer. Mm -hmm. And the inner is the thing that you know and the thing that you want. And the outside is your actions and what you show people. And I actually don't think that most people in the world are aligned. I think mm. most people act differently than they feel and mm. differently than they, um, than they want. I, I think can. that, yeah, I think that when you, I think that when people align their inner and outer selves, that's their most satisfied state in their being is when your inner self and outer self, can both be at peace because they're no longer conflicting with each other. You're preaching you know, right so now. If you're, so if your inner self wants to, you know, do these bigger things and do these bold things and put yourself out there, but your outer self doesn't al al allow you, then you're conflicted. But then you're, you're at peace and you're aligned when you can act based on what you know is the right thing and based on how you feel. Yep. I love yeah. that. I've actually had, I've had students like switch majors after we talked about inner and outer selves because they realized they were majoring in the things their parents wanted and mm -hmm. not what they wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was time. glad to not bring up, not allow them to have issues with their families, but I was glad that they were able to align their inner and outer selves um, because they realized that the thing they were acting was not the thing that they actually wanted, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's a word. I have to, I like that. I like that because it's true. I, I truly believe that you're in this moment. I'm in this moment. A lot of us are in this moment where we're starting to realize if we don't start to align, like when are we going to do it? You got to do it now. It's time. It's time. Right. It's time. And it, it, it's time for perfect alignment. Um, um, wow. What a, this is actually a good place to, to you know, um, to, to rest. I, um, tell the, my podcast listeners where they can find you, um, 
what you what you're up to, how they can connect with you, all of that. So I they can connect with me either on my personal page or my education page, both of which maybe we can mm-hmm. link once mm-hmm. you post. Absolutely, I will. I will. And yeah. you know, um, for any teacher listeners, I would love to um, give them information when I have my presentations and my workshops, so that they can attend and hopefully. Um, learn and teach me also from their experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel I've been rejuvenated by talking to you. So I feel like teachers need to connect with you so they can feel the same thing I'm feeling. Um, I, I feel empowered to, to have the grade after this. So I feel, <laughs> I feel empowered to, to, to do that. And so thank you so much for, joining the podcast i'll be joining your podcast soon and what's the name of your podcast Yeah, that would be great what's the name of your yes, podcast? the abstract truth the abstract truth so i'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm i'm excited to to, to join yeah that will be exciting yeah. and um i feel empowered to change the world right now after this conversation i know so. <laughs> me too it, 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 you know uh, this is getting um, over time here i like to keep my things at an hour so people can you know watch listen and i don't know attention spans but like there we talked about there are days in which i'm i mean i'm committed i bought like the podcast stuff i got the camera going i got i'm in it and some days i'm like what are you doing titty like you are so knee deep into this thing and then every once in a while i get these reminders from above like keep going (laughs) like like keep going don't stop and this is this conversation is one of those reminders so I thank you for, 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 you know, putting me back on track. So thank you. And uh, for our listeners, thank you so much. If you listened this far, I thank you. You are a true champion. And mm-hmm. uh, I hope everyone say, stays safe and stay brave. And I'll see you next week. Bye, guys.